Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our day to do meditation together in order to train the mind to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, the cause of all discontentedness in the mind, and cultivate or develop mindfulness. Mindfulness is awareness of mind. With these two aspects of our meditation being cultivated, what ends up happening is the mind develops more concentration. So through eliminating craving, desire, attachment, the mind can be calm, then the mind can have mindfulness or awareness of mind, and then it can have concentration to be able to access the wisdom. Wisdom is very, very important on this path to enlightenment because it's through the wisdom of the Buddhist teachings that we make wiser and wiser choices in our life about everything that we do. We all have free will. We all have the ability to make every decision in our life. But when we lack the wisdom of how to progress in this world in a way that doesn't harm others and doesn't harm our own self, then we end up making decisions and struggling and having difficulties that make life more challenging than it really needs to be. So through training the mind with a consistent daily meditation practice of breathing mindfulness meditation and also loving kindness meditation, you can work on eliminating the primary problems that are in the mind, which are craving, which is the first one, anger, which is the second, and then ignorance or unknowing of true reality. By training the mind through breathing mindfulness meditation, we eliminate that craving, desire, attachment, the cause of discontentedness. By training in loving kindness meditation, we eliminate anger or hatred or ill will. That helps us to then practice loving kindness in daily life. And then through learning the Buddhist teachings and not believing anything that we learn, but instead practicing to see the truth for ourselves, the mind gains wisdom of this path to enlightenment. And through that wisdom, the mind can then function in the world very differently than it does in the unenlightened state. The mind can move to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy where it no longer experiences any discontent feelings. Feelings like anger and sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, anxiety, stress, boredom or loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy. All of this can be eliminated from the mind through learning these teachings and then applying them in daily life so that you can see the truth for yourself that the condition of the mind just gradually improves. So Wednesday is our time to come together and support and encourage and motivate each other through 
doing a group meditation that I'll provide you some guidance on as we go in our meditation. We do breathing mindfulness meditation one Wednesday, and then the next Wednesday we'll do loving kindness meditation. And then on Sundays, we study this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. And each Sunday, we take a chapter from this book and we discuss it. And I share teachings with you, give you guys a chance to ask questions. And if you've read the chapter either before or after or before and after, then you're able to gain a lot more insight into what the teachings are. And this Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 19, which is titled The Difficult Human Existence, Sickness, Aging, and Death. This is where we're going to talk about Gautama Buddha's life and what led him to his journey to attain enlightenment. And we're going to talk about sickness, aging, and death because these tend to be the most challenging times for the mind. When it's experiencing sickness, your own sickness, or the sickness of people that are close to you, when you experience aging for yourself or other people around you, or when you experience the death of people around you, or even your own death, nearing your own death. These are three very challenging aspects of the human existence. So that's why I titled this The Difficult Human Existence, Sickness, Aging, and Death, where we'll talk about the Buddha's life, but we'll really move the conversation towards how we can deal with these three big events that happen in everybody's life. There's no way you can avoid it everyone's going to experience sickness, aging, and death. So the Buddhist teachings can help us to deal with these occasions and these situations in our life so that then you can have that peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. So I'd like to welcome you to our meditation and invite you to pull up a cushion or a chair, however you'd like to meditate. After we do our meditation, I'll open things up for questions at the end that you can ask any questions about meditation or anything about the path to enlightenment. But let's do some meditation together first. So if you're sitting on the floor, you might want to put some cushions under your rear in order to get your rear up and lessen the angle at your hips, your knees, and your ankles. And just cross your legs in front of you with your body nice and erect and your hands and arms in your lap. If you're in a chair, same thing, just make the lower body nice and comfortable. You may decide to cross your feet at the ankles or put your feet flat on the floor. Totally up to you how you choose to do that. But the upper body should be nice and erect. This helps to keep the mind attentive and alert during meditation because meditation should be an active thing that you're doing. It's a dedicated, purposeful training session where we're actively training the mind. So by keeping the upper body erect, it keeps the mind attentive and alert during meditation. Then with your hands and arms in your lap, with your lower body and the hands and arms just comfortable and relaxed, your upper body nice and erect, close the eyes and just start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Just a nice, natural breath. Breathing in and out. Your breath isn't going to necessarily sync up with the guidance that I'm providing. It's just a reminder for you to just breathe in through the nose, experiencing the full breath. When you get to the top of that breath, 
a nice gradual exhale through the nose breathing in and out as you establish this breath start fixating the mind on the sound of the breath or the sensation of air coming into the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the present moment, the breath. Breathing in and out. This is where you're building mindfulness or awareness of mind being aware of the breath. I'm going to do some chanting to ease us into meditation. Then I'll come back with some more guidance. If you know these chants, you're welcome to join along as we chant together.
Experiencing the full inhale and the full exhale. Fixating the mind on the breath is developing mindfulness or awareness of mind, bringing the mind into the present moment, the breath. As you do, the mind's going to have a tendency to want to long for the past or crave the future or have yearning for thoughts and ideas, perceptions. As the mind is having this craving desire, this yearning, wherever you notice that with your awareness of mind, with your mindfulness, you cut that off. Let it go and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. You're not attempting to eliminate the thoughts in meditation. You're becoming aware of them sooner and sooner that the mind is off the breath. And you're training the mind to let go of them easier and easier. This is how we cultivate mindfulness, awareness of mind, and eliminate craving, desire, attachment by cutting off the thought, let it go and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. The mind may even have a tendency to want to hold on to this voice and hear me guide you all the way through the meditation. But that's not what it needs. It needs to go internal and do the work to observe the breath, cultivate mindfulness, awareness of mind, cut off and let go of those thoughts, eliminating craving, desire, the yearning. So I'm gonna be quiet, let you do this work. Breathe in. and out. 
whenever you notice the mind is not on the breath, just cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath.
As I mentioned in meditation, what you're doing is you're developing mindfulness or awareness of mind and you're training the mind to more and more easily let go because that's the whole problem with the unenlightened mind is it holds on. It wants to hold on to boyfriends, girlfriends, hold on to possessions, hold on to our jobs and our responsibilities hold on to our identity, hold on to the ego, the conceit, hold on to central desire, hold on to ill will. The mind is just holding on and holding on. It's longing for the past. It's longing for the future. All these different thoughts are invading the mind. So what you're doing in this particular meditation is you're just training the mind to be aware, that mindfulness or awareness of mind, and you're training the mind to let go to more and more easily be aware when the mind's not in the present moment and let it go and come back to the present moment. Let it go, come back, let it go, come back. And you might start out meditating and your mind's wandering for five or 10 minutes and then, oh wow, 
and then you bring it back. But then as you develop this practice consistently over a long-term period of time, then you get better and better at noticing, oh, one minute, bring it back. 30 seconds, bring it back. Five seconds, bring it back. And more and more, you can just focus on the breath. And then if you notice any thoughts arising, you don't allow the mind to leave the breath. So this is what you can develop. And then this becomes useful in daily life because in daily life, when things happen and the mind has certain anger or frustration or guilt or shame or boredom or loneliness or whatever discontent feelings arise in the mind, you can be aware of that. You can have that awareness. And then with that awareness and you see the discontentedness arise, you can cut it off and let it go. But you won't be able to do that if you haven't trained in meditation to be able to do that. And then more and more and more, what happens is as you get better and better at being aware of your mind at all times during the day in cutting off and letting go of any discontentedness, eventually you get to the point where discontentedness doesn't even arise anymore. The mind is just always peaceful, calm, serene and content with joy, never experiencing discontentedness. So breathing mindfulness meditation is that consistent ongoing training that you should be doing two or three times a day. And if you can build up to about 30 minutes or more per session, that would be ideal. But it usually takes time to build up to that. You can't just typically do that out of the gate, although some people can. And then next week on Wednesday, I will share loving kindness meditation with you as I've done at other times in this program so that you can incorporate that into your practice as well because while breathing mindfulness meditation and practicing generosity is knocking down craving desire attachment doing loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness in daily life is knocking down the anger the hatred the ill will and then through learning in the books and the podcasts and the videos and the online classes in the Facebook group and everywhere else that I share teachings, you're eradicating that ignorance or that unknowing of true reality, the way the mind is confused or having delusion. And you do that through not believing the teachings, but practicing them and seeing them work. And this is one of the beauties about Gautama Buddha's teachings is that you can see your discontentedness slowly diminish more and more and more as you learn and as you practice and then you know you're on the right path you're learning the truth because you see the condition of the mind gradually improve things that once made you angry they don't make you angry anymore your mind is not causing itself to be angry based on those same conditions it's now transcended that it's let go of those craving desire attachments and now it's able to reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because it's no longer having those same yearning, that same longing, that same strong eagerness of certain things. So be sure you're practicing this on an ongoing basis as this is your foundation and you'll be able to build up your practice either here in these classes or, and also on your own because it's really an independent journey that you'll need to be practicing this on your own, just with the body, the mind, and the breath. If you're using music or any other devices as part of your meditation, try to slowly, gradually cut those out and gradually diminish those where you're only meditating with the body, the mind, and the breath. This is really all you should need for meditation.
So let me turn things over to you guys and see what questions you have about meditation or anything along this path to enlightenment. I'm pleased to help answer any questions that you have. All you need to do is put your question into the comment section of Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Our moderators will see that. Or if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and our moderators will call on you for any questions or follow-up questions that you have. Hello, teacher. Uh, um, from a couple of days, I was reading about university. Uh, the Buddha was referring to it as one of the factors that lead him to uh, eventually be a Buddha. I think university is uh, any deeds that are uh, focused on dedicating some time, some effort uh, for the benefit of others. So, uh, knowing that meditation, why meditation? One is uh, eliminating any unwholesome karma. So, uh, would you say that uh, practicing meditation is a kind of university? These are different things. It's called the way of practice. There's kind of three main components to the Buddha's way of practice. There's generosity, moral conduct, and meditation. This is what we call the way of practice. Generosity is giving and sharing, helping people with your time, effort, energy, and resources. It can be charitable donations of your time, effort, energy, or resources, or it can be just helping your neighbors or sharing food or helping people in your community. Generosity is very important in your practice because otherwise the mind becomes very selfish, very stingy, and the mind wants to hold on very tightly. We're taught as children to oftentimes share, but we're not taught why. And we oftentimes start to leave that behind as we age. We tend to hold on to things really tightly. So generosity is the quality of mind that we need to practice in order to train the mind to let go and not have this selfishness or this stinginess of holding on to everything, only applying effort behind things that benefit us. We need to be able to provide effort and energy and our time and our resources to benefit other people as well. And this will help you to recognize the interconnectivity between you and other beings. So generosity is very, very important. And not only is it important for you to practice this in your daily life, but also in practice towards supporting the teachings of the Buddha into the world. This is where in Buddhist countries, you will see monks that are walking on the street. And every day people get an opportunity to give food or give a little bit of money or give something to help us to share the teachings into the world. So these kind of things are there in order to help you to eliminate the craving, desire, attachment in the mind. And without that generosity of sharing with your friends, your family, your people around you, co-workers, and as well as supporting the teachings of the Buddha, you would never be able to attain enlightenment because the mind would just be too stingy and holding on to things too tightly. Then that second component is the moral conduct. This is where you look at the Eightfold Path and you can see right speech, right action, right livelihood. This is where the Buddha teaches the moral conduct, virtuous behavior, making decisions that doesn't cause harm to other beings with our speech, our actions, and our livelihood. Because if we cause harm through any of those ways, that harm is going to come back to us. And then the third component of this way of practice is meditation, training the mind through consistent, active, 
purposeful training sessions where you're either seated, uh, lying, standing, or walking, and you're actively training the mind two or three times a day, with all of this together, you're putting together a practice of what you're doing on a daily basis. Your daily practice or your way of practice on a daily basis is to always be generous, to always be practicing this moral conduct, to always be practicing meditation each day. This is your daily practice. The Eightfold Path is the entire path to enlightenment. That gives you the details of also what you need to be doing in terms of developing your wisdom, your moral conduct, your mental discipline. But generosity and meditation are two completely different things. By practicing meditation, you're actively, purposefully training the mind. By practicing generosity, you're giving and sharing. Well, so a generosity or meditation only are not enough to attain enlightenment, right? Right. There's an entire path. There's the eightfold path, right? So generosity and this particular meditation, breathing mindfulness meditation, are working to eliminate the primary problem that's causing discontentedness, craving, desire, attachment. This is what's causing all the happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria, anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, stress, anxiety, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, just any unsatisfactory condition of the mind, it's all being caused by craving, desire, attachment. That's why breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity are so important to eliminate that one aspect of the mind that's causing the discontentedness. But there's other aspects of the mind or pollution or defilements or taints that are in the mind that need to be remedied with specific solutions. So that's why there's an entire path that teaches you how to understand these pollutions in the mind and how to remedy them through specific antidotes. Well, uh, I noticed that a uh, oneness or singleness of the mind is one aspect of uh, meditation. So uh, do you agree that focusing on the breath helps one to eliminate, uh, let's say, uh, the, the, the busy nature of the mind Yes, singleness of mind is part of that eighth step of the Eightfold Path. It's right concentration. So the Eightfold Path is broken into three sections or categories, which is wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline. The mental discipline part is right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. This is what you're practicing primarily when you're meditating. When you're meditating, you're building awareness of mind or right mindfulness. You're taking the right effort to eliminate unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities in the mind. And you're focusing on the breath to develop singleness of mind, bringing the mind into the present moment or right concentration. By developing this mental discipline in meditation actively and consistently over a long period of time, then you have that mental discipline in your daily life. Just like other things, you can't just meditate in the morning and then the whole rest of your day is going to go wonderful. You have to understand this entire path that meditation is one component 
but there's these other steps as well that you practice on an ongoing moment by moment basis throughout your day, like right intention and right speech, right action, so forth and so on. And it's through this benefits that you're cultivating in meditation that make it easier for you to practice the entire Eightfold Path in your daily life, moment to moment. Well, I, um, I can remember that maybe from two or three years ago, I, uh, I watched some videos for people who are teaching meditation. They talked about focusing on emptiness of the mind. Do you agree with this? Focusing on what? Emptiness of the mind. Emptiness of the mind. I don't suggest that you do that, that instead you focus on the breath, the present moment. This is what the Buddha taught is to focus on the breath because the breath is the present moment. As you're able to do that more and more and the mind is longing for something, either the past, the future, thoughts, ideas, perceptions, and you get better and better at cutting that off and letting it go, coming back to the breath, the mind eventually submits. It eventually, over time, submits and it just stays in the present moment. I would never train a dog this way, but I use this analogy that, you know, if a dog was pulling and pulling and pulling on the leash and you just yanked it back and yanked it back and yanked it back and yanked it back, eventually, over time, the dog would learn to just stay by your side and don't move, that every time it longs for something, it gets yanked back. Well, your mind is the same way, that it's basically wanting to run to the past. It's longing and pulling to the past, or it's pulling to the future, or it's pulling towards these thoughts and ideas and perceptions. And what you're doing in meditation is you're cutting that off and letting it go and pulling it back to the breath. As you do, and you start clearing out the craving, desire, attachment in the mind, the mind becomes what we call empty or it then it becomes uncluttered or unmuddled. When the mind is full of craving, anger, and ignorance, the mind is very muddled. The Buddha called it muddle-mindedness, that the mind is very confused, very muddled. It doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. The more you learn and practice and train the mind, you get this crispness and this clarity, this brightness or this radiance of the enlightened mind. And we might say that the mind is empty it's not empty in terms of there's still a profound amount of wisdom. The more you progress on this path, there's a profound amount of wisdom. But there's not all this clutter and all this junk around. There's not all this dust around that's accumulating in the mind. Instead, you've cleared all that out through training the mind in meditation, but also outside of meditation. So then you experience this emptiness of mind. But that's not what you're focusing on during meditation. Because the average person who is meditating doesn't have an enlightened mind. The mind is only going to be experiencing that emptiness as it gets closer and closer to enlightenment. So what you need to focus on is the present moment, which is the breath. And that's what's going to lead to the emptiness is that you're letting go of the craving, desire, attachment. You're letting go of that anger, that hatred, that ill will. You're increasing your wisdom to eradicate the ignorance or confusion or delusion, the unknowing of true reality. And as you clear all this out from the mind, that's where you get to the emptiness, the clarity. But then you have this profound wisdom and you have this moral conduct and you have this mental discipline that you're able to conduct life with ease and smoothness. 
So uh, the active part of meditation is uh, letting go. Since that all the best enlightenment is about letting go, right? Yeah, that's a big component to it because the unenlightened mind is holding on so tightly, you're training the mind to let go. The Buddha called it relinquishment. You're training the mind to let go. You don't actually need to eliminate your possessions or your relationships or your job or all these things. This is one of the big myths in the Buddhist community is they see that the Buddha left the royal palace and went on this journey and became homeless. And you might see monks in these temples that have done something similar. And people think that's what you have to do in order to attain enlightenment, but you actually don't. It's more conducive to enlightenment if you do that because it's a more precise discipline that you're following as part of the ordained life. But you can attain enlightenment in the household life by training the mind to let go or relinquishment. You're letting go of the craving, desire, attachment, the way the mind is longing and yearning and trying to hold on to things so tightly. And there may be some possessions in your life that you do decide to let go of. And there may be some relationships that you do decide to end as part of your path to enlightenment. But that's not what's required. You just need to train the mind to let go so that you're not trying to control the people in your relationships. You're not trying to hold on to your possessions so tightly that when impermanence comes, you're not diminished and distraught because of your possessions being gone. Or if something happens to a relationship in your life, you're not distraught because this person no longer associates with you or has died or something else. So you're training the mind to let go and not hold on to all these things, recognizing the universal truth of impermanence, that these things are all impermanent. They're not permanent. They're all temporary. But see, the mind wants them to be permanent. The mind wants relationships, possessions, jobs, all of these things, the mind wants them to be permanent. So you're training the mind to recognize this universal truth of impermanence and that these material things, these relationships are not what brings the inner joy. These impermanent conditions can't create lasting inner fulfillment because these impermanent conditions are constantly changing. So you have to be able to discover how to let go of all these impermanent conditions, but you can still maintain the relationships and the possessions and then go internal and find that peace, that calm, that serenity, that contentedness, that joy being unattached to any particular thing to create those feelings. This is the unconditioned mind, that the qualities of the mind, they don't arise, they don't change, and they don't fade away because they're just always present, because they're not based on any impermanent conditions. Well, uh, since that, uh, there is no questions for today on Zoom, but uh, I want to uh, ask about uh, uh, retreats. What I know uh, about retreats is it uh, dedicated day or days for meditation. Do you think this go against the middle way? Everybody does retreats differently. There's some places where you can go that they will meditate for 8, 10, 12, 16 hours a day even over multiple days. When I lead retreats, I don't do it that way because I don't feel it's in the middle. And I feel it can be very taxing to the mind and very taxing to the body. And it can also 
be somewhat dissuading if we do this. And oftentimes those retreats are also silent. So not only are you meditating for extreme amounts of time during your day, but you're not interacting with anybody. Now, those things may be beneficial for some people because you can really see your cravings, that the mind wants to talk on social media or it wants to call your partner or your children or your mind wants to know what's going on at home or something like this. But the way that I prefer to do retreats is in the morning, we spend about three hours to learn the teachings of the Buddha, meditate, and basically not have phones or access to the outside just for three hours in the morning. Then we have breakfast, we do our daily activities, we have lunch, do daily activities. And then in the evening, there's another three hour period where we meditate for 30 minutes or so. And then we do a talk, learning the teachings and question and answer. And during the retreat, the students can talk to each other and you can talk to the local community and people in the local community as we go out into different events. Because one of the main things on the path to enlightenment is learning right speech and learning how to deal with the challenges that arise in our life. And if I let a retreat where there's like 10 days or 30 days where you just completely block out the outside world, I think of this as like a Petri dish that everything's perfect while you're in that little Petri dish. And then as soon as you go outside in the outside world, you kind of get bombarded with all this stuff and your mind doesn't know how to deal with it because you've been in this Petri dish for 10 days or 30 days or 15 days or what have you. Instead, you know, we kind of have this three hours in the morning, this three hours in the evening, and you can use your mobile devices all through the day and stuff like this because I'm interested in somebody getting that text message from their partner or from their child or work and saying, hey, we really need you. We miss you. You know, why aren't you here? Because then you have access to your teacher right there in the retreat and you can get help with how to deal with that and how to process that in a way that would be conducive using the Buddhist teachings. So I like to consider what I share as a retreat, I call it an active retreat rather than a silent retreat where there's periods of study and there's periods of meditation, but we go out into the world and apply the teachings that we learn in the morning. We go out to do activities outside and we apply the teachings of right speech and right action and all the other teachings on the Eightfold Path, including right intention. And then we come back in the evening time and we talk about how the day went and what happened and how they found applying the teachings from the morning in their day with their friends and fellow people in the retreat and communicating on their electronic devices. And I feel like this is a more gradual way to bring the teachings into the mind and then apply them during the retreat for 10 days or five days or however long people spend time during the retreat because then they can kind of gradually ease the teachings into their life. And then when they go back home, it's not such a big step or a big jump going from complete silence, meditating for eight or 10 hours a day in this Petri dish to now the world is bombarding you with all this stuff. That to me is kind of like the two opposite sides is complete silence, meditating, everyone you're around is completely peaceful. The world is completely wide open and, and, you know, everybody wants things from you, expects things from you. These are two opposite sides of the spectrum. 
and kind of what I do with the retreats is bring it to the middle where there's periods of time where there's silence and there's no electronic devices and we're learning and meditating and things like that. But then there's the whole day where we're actively applying the teachings together within the retreat environment and going out into the community. Actually, I'm interested to know about the retreats you lead. Uh, do they only include a sitting meditation? Yeah, what we do is we wake up in the morning around 6, 6.30, and you know, there's like a free time to kind of take a shower, clean out your eyes, you know, maybe brush your teeth or whatever you'd like to do. And then by around 7 or so, we start to sit down and do meditation together as a group. And then after we meditate, there's going to be a talk on the teachings and questions throughout. And then after that, we will have breakfast and uh, spend time together either in the retreat or going out to an activity somewhere in Thailand, some activity that's going on here in Thailand. And then uh, we have lunch together and then we come back in the evening and have dinner either outside or inside the retreat. And then by about eight o'clock at night, we're going to be doing more meditation together and then doing a talk on the teachings and really just kind of opening up for questions because whatever we taught in the morning, the students will have been applying that all day long and seeing how it works for them and maybe stumbling over their feet and maybe not quite understanding certain things or seeing certain success in certain ways. So in the evening, we kind of spend time talking about that. So over maybe like a 10-day period, there's a combination of meditation, talks on the teachings, question and answers, spending one-on-one time with your teacher, spending time as a group, going out into the community, doing things together, spending time internal to the retreat, doing things together, eating good food, seeing good things, but kind of gradually building up the practice together so that you can then kind of ease the teachings into your life. I feel this is a way that works really well for people. Yes, but uh, all kinds or sorts of meditation, lying, sitting, sleeping, walking, oh, bring yes. the same Right. Yes. So what we do is in the morning and evening, we're doing seated meditation typically. But then there are certain parts of the retreat where we introduce the other positions as well. So we'll do lying meditation sometimes. We'll do standing meditation. We do walking meditation. So like in a 10-day retreat, we might go outside for four or five days and stay inside for four or five days. During those times where we're inside, there's free time inside the retreat. And students are encouraged to spend time with each other or if they like to do yoga or they have a book that they would like to read or anything that's going on, go on local hikes right in the local area. But also they can do walking meditation. There's areas set up for walking meditation for students to do that inside the retreat. But we kind of gradually unfold it over the course of 10 days so that we're starting with seated, moving into lying, moving into standing, walking, and building up your practice over a number of days. Well, I think that Miranda has a question, so let's look up here. Um, when Basim brought up uh, lying meditation, it made a thought you know, occur. If someone is experiencing, um, feeling like something is like lifting up, becoming unbalanced during meditation, would lying meditation be beneficial 
to kind of counteract that feeling? It could. You can try it and see. If you're feeling like the body is moving or having any kind of sensations or sometimes people feel their head kind of expanding during meditation and get these different sensations, as you experience this, the mind needs to understand that it's all impermanent and remain unaffected by it. So if you're seated meditation and you feel like your body is rising, then as long as the body is, is comfortable but not luxurious, it's not in pain, then if you can just stay in the seated position and just be unaffected by that feeling, then that would be ideal. Just stay focused on the breath. But if there's pain, like if the hip or the knee or anything like that, then yeah, moving to like a lying position, you can change during your meditation session. You don't have to just stay in the same position all the time throughout your entire meditation you'll experience these different sensations during meditation. You might feel, like I mentioned, the head expanding or contracting. You might hear things in the brain kind of moving around because there's research that shows that as you're training the mind, there's this connection to the brain and the structures of the brain are actually changing, not just during meditation, but as you're practicing all these teachings, the structures of the brain are changing. And once they change, the researchers say that it doesn't go back to the way it was before, which is what we know about enlightenment as well. So you might feel sometimes the brain moving around and, or even hearing it kind of changing while you're sleeping or during your day or during meditation. And you just got to remain unaffected. You got to understand that it's impermanent and that this is just a normal part of transforming the mind to enlightenment that the brain is going to be changing you're going to have these different sensations in the body it's just all part of the path okay so then really if it's just like a mental sensation or a bodily sensation it's more beneficial to remain in the seated position and just train the mind to not be affected by that sensation yes as long as there's no pain or anything like that just remain where you are like a post, like a pillar, and become unaffected by it. Because not only do you experience these things that we're talking about, but as the mind starts moving into the jhanas, you might feel this bliss, this joy, this radiance, and it's like almost like tingling all over the body. As soon as you're like, oh my goodness, what was that? Oh, that felt so good. The craving's kicking in, and the mind's going to regress. It's going to back out of the jhanas. So when you feel those pleasant feelings because moving into the jhanas are quite pleasant when you feel that pleasantness coming in you need to remain unaffected and this is where i talk about if you were naked standing in the middle of your street and the sun was shining on you you have to remain unaffected by the sunshine or if it starts raining and you're naked in the middle of your street you need to remain unaffected so when you're meditating if you feel any of those sensations as the mind is awakening, you just remain unaffected. Don't think that just because you experienced it in this session, it's going to happen next session, because that's the other trap that the mind can fall into is not only does it enjoy that so much the first time, but then it expects it the next time and it's craving it, it's longing for it, and then it doesn't come because the craving is there. As long as there's craving that arises in the mind, it's going to have the mind regress. So as you're starting to feel these different sensations, you just remain unaffected by it and stay 
steadfast on the breath. Okay, I understand. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. I think the topic of uh, retreats, especially in a country like Thailand, would be interesting. So maybe after COVID, uh, some of us will decide to do so. <laughs> yeah, I had lots of retreats planned, or not a lot, but I had like four or five planned for 2020 before COVID hit. And I'm kind of looking to see when the window of Thailand kind of opens up and tourists are more readily coming into Thailand before I set up a schedule for the future. Right now, they've opened up to tourists starting July 1st, and people can come in and they can fly into Phuket, which is an island in the south. It's called a sandbox where you can stay in the, on the island of Phuket for 14 days, and they do like two or three COVID tests at your hotel over the course of those 14 days. And if everything's clear, then they allow you to travel on into other parts of Thailand. And I think that for people who are vaccinated, it's cut down to maybe seven days, I would like to say. Uh, and then you can travel on to other parts of Thailand. So I'm up here in the north in Chiang Mai. So if somebody was going to come for a retreat at this point, I don't have any scheduled retreats, but if somebody they had two months or three months or however long they would like to come, even a month, and they would like to go to Phuket and then come up here to the north, I can spend time with them even though I don't have any retreats going on. But what I would like to do is get to the point where Thailand is more fully vaccinated and they're kind of letting people just come right in without the quarantine. And then that way I can start holding retreats because some people only get two weeks of holiday. So to quarantine for two weeks, that would be, you know, kind of pretty much their entire, not quarantine, but going into the sandbox of Phuket, that would be kind of like their whole holiday for some people. But there's some people in the world that don't have those constraints. So if people are interested in coming to Thailand for any amount of time and they would like to come up here to the north, they can let me know. We can set up some times to connect and I can help you and help you progress on this path. Sounds good. Okay, so it seems that uh, these are all the questions that we have for today. So thanks to the for your time and effort. Okay. Well, I'll uh, just end by saying thank you all again for joining and being committed to learning and practicing Gautama Buddha's teachings. As you heard me share on Sunday, we're going to be discussing chapter 19 in the book. And then next Wednesday will be loving kindness meditation. So you're welcome to join for those. If you don't have this book, you can go to buddhadailywisdom.com. In the upper right corner, there's a link for free books. From there, you can download the book for free, or you can order it if you would like a printed copy. There's printed copies that you can order from Amazon as well. So as you progress in this program, you can learn the teaching step by step. And we're going to be starting the whole program over in about another four to six weeks. So you can kind of come in here on the tail end and kind of just warm up to the way that we do things. And then in about another four to six weeks, we're going to be starting over from the very beginning of the book and progressing forward. And that will help you to build up your life practice and be able to see the truth for yourself as you train the mind. The condition of the mind and the condition of your life just gets better and better. So I'll see you in a future class, either on Sunday or Wednesday. Until then, have a very lovely rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. 
To access more teachings, visit BuddhaDailyWisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.